continue our journey into joy this morning, looking at the letter of Paul to the Philippians, taking a few more steps, beginning in the middle or so of the first chapter at verse 12, page 951 in your pew Bibles, and reading to the end of that chapter. Some not-so-familiar words and some familiar words. Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. What has happened to Paul is that he's in prison for preaching. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. 
get a life. You've probably heard that before. You may even have said it before. Of course, it can't possibly be meant literally. You can't get a life. But we know what it means. It means take the life you've got and do something with it. Make something of it. Hang on to it. Use it for good. Some years ago, there was a radio talk show hosted by somebody named Art Bell. Maybe some of you even listened to it. It was called Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. Now, I never listened to it, but I read about it in Time Magazine, which said it was the nation's top meeting place for the reality challenged. And every night for five hours on 335 radio stations, 10 million people listened in as folks from all over the place called in with stories of the supernatural and paranormal. Alien abductions, poltergeists, UFO encounters, remote viewing, ESP, and other unlikely fare is how Time Magazine described it. Other remarkable Bell shows have involved such subjects as the 1957 Chevrolet that just fell out of the sky in Long Beach, California. A farmer who threw machinery and dead cows into a hole on his property and claimed they never hit the bottom. And an interview with Richard Hoagland who claims the government is suppressing news of alien structures on the moon and Mars. And to all who laugh or mock or criticize Mr. Bell, he said, all we glorify is the possibility that we as humans are more than we appear to be. I have an opportunity to push in that direction, and I do. I have an open mind. I'll listen to anybody. The possibility that we as humans are more than we appear to be. And what I want you to think about this morning is that almost every living human being, however they would phrase it or describe it, secretly hopes for the same thing, that we are more than we appear to be. And along with people like Art Bell, a lot of them will listen to anything and anybody to help them in their search. So how about listening to this? To me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. A good deal of what I just read to you from Philippians 1, 12 to 30 is not as familiar as some of the other parts of Philippians might be. But a good deal of what I read to you this morning is as inspiring, as challenging, as exciting 
and maybe as troubling as we were afraid it would be. You just heard it from the NIV. Now will you listen to a few parts of it from the message, which brings it a little closer. I want to report to you, friends, that my imprisonment here has had the opposite of its intended effect. Instead of being squelched, the message has actually prospered. All the soldiers here and everyone else, too, found out that I'm in jail because of this Messiah. That piqued their curiosity, and now they've learned all about him. Not only that, but most of the Christians here have become far more sure of themselves in the faith than ever, speaking out fearlessly about God, about the Messiah. Paul goes to jail, and the jailers and the soldiers learn about Jesus, and the folks outside who are afraid it might happen to them get stronger in their witness. Now that's more astounding than machinery and dead cows put in a hole that has no bottom. And then there's this, which I have always found not only difficult to comprehend, but exactly the opposite of what I think my reaction would be. It's true that some here preach Christ because with me out of the way, they think they can step right into the spotlight. But the others do it with the best heart in the world. One group is motivated by pure love, knowing that I'm here defending the message, wanting to help. The others, now that I'm out of the picture, are merely greedy, hoping to get something out of it for themselves. Their motives are bad. They see me as the competition. And so the worse it goes for me, the better they think for them. So how am I to respond? I've decided that I really don't care about their motives, whether mixed, bad, or indifferent. Every time one of them opens his mouth, Christ is proclaimed, so I just cheer them on. Whew. That's the testimony of somebody who's got a life. And what a life he's got. It's the testimony of somebody who knows he's more than he appears to be. Somebody who makes me want to be more than I appear to be. And that's when he says the words of our text. More familiar, perhaps, than any I just read to you. And initially more palatable, more inspiring, more reaching, more soaring. To me, to live is Christ. I maintain that's one of the hardest things Paul ever said. With the exception of what he said right after it. And to die is gain. For Paul, Christ is the beginning of life. For Paul, Christ is the end of life. 
For Paul, Christ is the inspiration of life. For Paul, Christ is the purpose of life. For Paul, Christ is the strength of life. For Paul, Christ is the reward of life. And the very first place that astonishing fact makes a difference is here. Not in heaven by and by, but here and now on the earth. And in every corner of the here and now, and in every moment of the here and now, to me, to live is Christ. Now think about Paul saying that. Reflect on that in your mind for a minute. Listen to some areas of life that that might have a bearing on, and a text or two from God's word, all of these that I'm about to read will come from the message, and ask yourself, what impact is that going to have where I am? To me, to live in my home is Christ. Listen to what Paul says to the Colossians, chapter 3, 20 and 21. Children, do what your parents tell you. This delights the master no end. Parents, don't come down too hard on your children or you'll crush their spirits. Now, if to me to live is Christ, what will the impact of that be on the way I act when I get up in the morning at home? Or what I talk about at the supper table or how I talk about it. Or what I do with or in my car. Or the attitude I have and the reaction to any kind of a curfew. To me, to live in my marriage is Christ. Listen to what Paul says to the Ephesians in chapter 5. Out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives exactly as Christ did for the church. Now, if to me to live is Christ in that marriage, then what will the impact be when my spouse and I disagree? When our preferences vary? When our desires diverge? When our patience dwindles? To me, to live in my work is Christ. Here's something else Paul said to the Colossians in chapter 3. Work from the heart for your real master, for God, confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. Now, if to me to live is Christ in my work, what impact will that have when I'm tempted to think of it 
as the daily grind. When I find fellow employees difficult to tolerate, when I don't like or contribute to the negative attitude around the coffee pot, when I'm tempted to do less than my best when the work gets tedious and nobody's looking anyhow. To me, to live in my learning is Christ. Here's what Moses said in Deuteronomy 33. Assemble the people, men, women, and children, and the aliens living in your town so they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and follow carefully all the words of his law. Now what will the impact be on me when I don't feel like listening anymore? When I don't care enough to try to apply the word of God to my daily life? When I want the word amen at the end of a prayer, the end of a sermon, to mean what it says, it's over. And not, so shall it be, and I'll do what I can to make it happen. What will the impact be when the attraction of TV is greater than the attraction to my devotions? To me, to live and have fun is Christ. Paul wrote to the Colossians in chapter 3 and said to them, let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. Now how's that going to affect the way I golf? Not the score, but the attitude. The way I date what I do with my evenings, what I do on vacation. To me, to be alive and a good citizen is Christ. Paul wrote to the Romans in thir chapter 13, be a good citizen. All governments are under God. Insofar as there is peace and order, it's God's order. So live responsibly as a citizen. When you add up everything in the law code, the sum total is love. Now what will the impact of that be right around this time of year when I start pulling things together to file my income tax return? When I react to the daily news when I have the opportunity and the responsibility to vote. When I'm driving down the road and I see a sign that says 55. To me, to live is Christ. Can you say, let my life reveal Jesus. Everything I do, everywhere I am, every thought I have, every word I say, every act I perform, glorifying him. To me, to live is Christ. 
and to die is gain. Really? There was a Midwestern church where the council, I guess, asked all the members to write their thoughts on what they'd like to have said at their memorial service and turn it in for the pastor's files. There was great turmoil in that congregation because a lot of people had never thought about their own deaths before and a lot of people didn't want to. Lloyd Ogilvie commented, for all the preaching, praying, hymn singing, and study about eternal life, this company of believers had not experienced Jesus as the vanquisher of death. We cannot live, really, until we come to grips with death. Goethe was right. Those who hope for no other life are dead, even in this one. Paul could say and really mean it. I, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Life for Paul was Christ, and death was better yet. I've spoken with folks like that. Folks who are ready for death, even in some respects eager, not, not just to be rid of the pain and the suffering and the deprivations that they have been going through, but eager for what death will allow, closer fellowship with Christ. Afraid, maybe, probably even afraid of dying. It's something you can only do once. You have to do alone, and you can't talk to anybody else who's ever done it because they're not here. Afraid of dying, but not afraid of death. Paul says, I desire to depart. That's a military term for pulling up stakes and breaking camp. It's not defeat or surrender. It's moving on to another location. It's a nautical term for loosening the mooring ropes and pulling up the anchor and hoisting the sails. It's not sinking the ship. It's sailing to a new destination. Life for somebody who can say to me to live is Christ is better than anything you've ever imagined. And death is even better. Better than the best we've experienced. Listen, no eye has seen, Paul wrote, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed it to us by his spirit. I don't know how many times over the last 45 years or so I've stood beside a grave and read those words. Does it make you eager to experience it? Not eager to be dead, but to be eager for what only death can allow. I read a story once about a family that talked every once in a while seriously with each other about their faith and their certainty. And one night the dad got himself and his wife and the kids together and talked about how they could be sure of their eternal life. And little Jimmy, who was seven, said this, 
I think it will be something like this in heaven. One day we will all go to heaven. It will be time for the big angel to read from the big book the names of all the people who will be there. He will come to the Rogers family and say, Daddy Rogers, and Daddy will say, here. Then the angel will call out, Mommy Rogers, and Mommy will say, here. Then the angel will come down to call out Susie Rogers and Mavis Rogers, and they'll both say, here. And finally, that big angel will read my name, Jimmy Rogers. And because I'm little, and maybe he'll miss me, I'll jump up and shout real loud, here, to make sure he knows I am. Two days later, while walking to the school bus, Jimmy Rogers was hit by a car, very critically injured, and in the hospital in a coma, with his life gradually draining out of him. The family standing around him, and he started to stir a little, and they came closer and held hands and circled him, and he spoke one word loudly enough for all of them to hear. Hear! And he was gone. To die is gain. To me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. What shall I choose? Paul said, I know that I'll remain. Now for Paul, that didn't mean I'll just stay here breathing and hanging on till the end. For Paul, that meant I'll go on living the way I have before, as if to me to live is Christ. And to die, well, that's even better. Max Lucado imagines it this way. You are in your car, driving home. Thoughts wander to the game you want to see or the meal you want to eat when suddenly a sound unlike any you've ever heard fills the air. The sound is high above you. A trumpet? A choir? A choir of trumpets? You don't know, but you want to know. So you pull over, get out of your car, and look up. As you do, you see you aren't the only curious one. The roadside has become a parking lot. Car doors open and people are staring at the sky. Shoppers are racing out of the grocery store. The Little League baseball game across the street has come to a halt. Players and parents are searching the clouds, and what they see, what you see, has never been seen before. As if the sky were a curtain, the drapes of the atmosphere part. A brilliant light spills onto the earth. There are no shadows, none. From whence came the light begins to tumble a river of color, spiking crystals of every hue ever seen and a million never before seen. Riding on the flow is an endless fleet of angels. They pass through the curtains one myriad at a time until they occupy every square inch of the sky, north, south, east, west. Thousands of silvery wings rise and fall on, in unison. And over the sound of the trumpets, you can hear the cherubim and seraphim chanting, Holy, holy, holy. 
The final flank of angels is followed by 24 silver-bearded elders and a multitude of souls who join the angels in worship. Presently, the movement stops, and the trumpets are silent, leaving only the triumphant triplet, holy, holy, holy. Between each word is a pause. With each word, a profound reverence. You hear your voice join in the chorus. You don't know why you say the words, but you know you must. Suddenly, the heavens are quiet. All is quiet. The angels turn. You turn. The entire world turns. And there he is, Jesus. Through waves of light, you see the silhouetted figure of Christ the King. He's atop a great stallion, and the stallion is atop a billowing cloud. He opens his mouth, and you are surrounded by his declaration, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The angels bow their heads. The elders remove their crowns. And before you is a figure so consuming that you know instantly, you know nothing else matters. Forget stock markets and school reports, sales meetings and football games. Nothing is newsworthy. All that matters, matters no more. For Christ has come. Let's pray. Oh Lord, may each of us move at least closer to saying to me, to live is Christ. Everywhere, in everything, always, no matter what. And someday, to die will even be gain. Come, Lord Jesus.